Yeah, go Reyes, right. Oh my gosh. So, welcome to September. We did it, yay! New month. <laughs> new month, new theme. The theme for September is spiritual stewards of the planet. Isn't that lovely? So, our work is cut out for us. <laughs> and today's talk is responsibility. And I, and I sort of separated that up, right? Response, ability. Response, ability. The ability to respond. And isn't that a lovely thought? We have the ability to respond in whatever situation we find ourselves. We have the ability to respond in love. We can respond in kindness. We can respond wisely. We are able to call upon any, any or all of the qualities of God in any situation in which we find ourselves, right? All of those, and of course there are more. We can respond with any of the qualities of God rather than react. There's a difference. There's a real difference, right? We react when we touch a hot stove, right? I mean, it's just, it's instantaneously, immediately, no thought, bypasses the brain altogether. The stimulus to, to reflex action is like in microseconds, right? You pull your hand back before you even, before you actually even register the heat. It's just an automatic reflex. A reflex, an automatic reflex is a rapid, unlearned, involuntary response to a stimulus. Reflex action does not require the brain's involvement at all. It normally occurs from, from a stimulus to a reaction. That reflex action bypasses the brain entirely, moves to the spinal column, and then back to the reaction for, uh, um, for that reflex action. And we have many, many reflex actions, right? Blinking. Blinking is a reflex action. Uh, breathing is another one. Gagging, eh, you know. <laughs> Our pupillary responses, all of those things that are covered by the autonomic nervous system a lot of times, they are reflex actions. They happen like that. They do not involve the brain. Now, being able to respond, that's another story, isn't it? Right? When we have a choice to respond, to take action, then we have a responsibility, right? Then we have the ability to respond. And sometimes we do. <laughs> sometimes we do respond, and then sometimes we just react, don't we? As if the brain's not involved at all, right? And we do that. And those are the times you get to lament, <laughs> right? When you have just, when someone has said something, ah, you know, and you just like react like that. Those are the times, what is that old saying about act in haste? Yeah, the devil made me do it. Act in haste, <laughs> repent in leisure, right? Those times where we just, you, you know what I'm, is it only me? Maybe it's only me. Okay. You know, we have the ability to respond. We have that responsibility to respond to our environment, to other people, to the weather, to our situation, whatever, right? And we have that choice to respond or to react, right? And that react thing, that's kind of brainless, you know? One requires thought. The other one is just sort of like a reflex action. 
You always did it because you've always done it. You know what I mean? It's one of those things. And the difference between the two, the difference between respond and react is the gap. Is the gap. It's the time, right, between stimulus and response. And I know one of, the, one of the ministers in the past years ago, he said, the gap stands for G-A-P. It stands for God's area of preparation. Isn't that lovely? God's area of preparation. The time we can build in between stimulus and response, right? And the greater the gap, the more consciously we can choose our response. So when someone pushes our button and we just go off on them, because we do that really well. Well, I should say I do. I can do that really well. That, that's that reflex action. That's that reaction, right? Somebody pushes that sore spot and all of a sudden, blah, you know, that's, I call that the pterodactyl behavior, you know, right? Somebody pushes our button and we just go off on them. That's a reaction. There's very little gap there, you know, really teeny tiny little gap there. Mostly thoughtless reaction, right? Thoughtless. But when someone pushes our button and we are practiced in the art of the gap, we can stretch out that time. We can consciously stretch out the time between stimulus and response. And then we get to consciously choose our reply, yes? We can choose love. What is, yeah, yay. Woohoo. We can choose compassion. We can choose to be snarky, but at least it'll be a conscious choice. You know, I mean, it's always a choice. We are responsible for our reactions. We're responsible for our responses. And as we build the gap into our prayer practice, into, into our spiritual practice, we become more compassionate because we just don't lash out. It's not an automatic reflex, right? We think about what we're going to say. The idea of waiting, just waiting to respond rather than react, gives us the opportunity to decide what our behavior will be. There's our choice. It's, we are at choice at that point. That gap is just, it's our opportunity to really, to kind of go within and, and decide how we are going to respond to any situation. Sometimes you have to give yourself a time out, don't you? I mean, I know that there are times where something will just come up and, and right in my face and it's like, give me a minute, <laughs> you know, go, go walk around outside, you know, take a time out for yourself. I remember when my children were little, um, when we would give them a time out, you know, for, for misbehavior or things like that. And the rule of thumb back in the spiritual parenting days back then was one, one minute for every year that they were. That's how long they should sit in a timeout. So if they were three, like three minutes is an eternity to a three-year-old, you know. So um, I, I got into, <laughs> I lost my temper, and I remember my, my oldest son, Adrian, who was sitting in the back of the room right now doing the AV, he, he said to me, Mom, I think you need a timeout. <laughs> and I went, oh. You know, you're right. I really do. I said, I'm going to take myself to my room and think about my behavior. And as I'm going up the stairs, he says to me, Mom, how old are you? 
And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be in my room for years. <laughs> but the idea of taking that gap, right? Taking that gap and stretching it out, it gives us the opportunity to ask the questions, right? We get to uncover the button that got pushed. What was it? What's it about? Why is it there? Why is it still there? How to remove it, right? We get to ask ourselves all of those questions. Why does this bug me? You know, somebody says something or somebody's inappropriate behavior lands on you wrong or whatever. Why do I have such a strong reaction to that? Because I'm the one having the reaction, right? I'm having the reaction to a stimulus from outside. So, so what is the unhealed aspect in myself that's being activated by somebody else's behavior or by something, some other situation or something like that, right? That's what the gap allows us to do. It gives us that time to uncover those buttons. Because here's the deal. God's calling us. The, the, the deal, the, the button has been there. It didn't just happen when that person, you know, made that unskilled behavior or when that situation popped up in your life, the button was already there, which means you put it there years ago. It's been there. It's been there for a while, maybe. It's from your past. It could be from your long ago past. It could be from your childhood, right? But the button was already there, just, just all red and shiny and waiting to be pushed, you know? <laughs> now, now, the good news about that is it's waiting to be pushed for a reason so you can heal it. When somebody lights us up like that, it's our opportunity to heal something that we've been unconscious to maybe. Right? We've just been unconscious to it. It's been there for a long time. I don't know. But somebody touched it inadvertently or on purpose. I don't know. Family members do that a lot. <laughs> just, it just happens. You know, they know our buttons because they grew up with us, right? So they know exactly where those places are. But somebody comes along and pushes the button. It's been there for years. You have another opportunity to look at it and go, huh, why does this, why does this light me up? You know, what is about this? You know, and those... And here's the thing, the buttons, they point us to our healing, so, so that's their purpose, really. But then we're, we need to do the healing part. That's our ability to respond as well. We can respond by healing those things. Those buttons, they, they bring up something, a sudden anger, or a sudden sadness, or a sudden fear, or a sudden guilt, or a sudden shame. But they're all from the past. They're all from the past. So the healing question then begins, right? The healing inquiry. And this is what's so beneficial about the gap. The healing inquiry begins. Where did that button come from? Oh, my God, you know what? I've had that thing pushed so many times over the years. Oh, my God, and I'm still responding the same way, right? We get to do that inquiry. What is the feeling that generated the emotion. And this is the work a lot of times that practitioners do in the sessions, right? The emotion, that's the outward thing. That's what you show to the world. The anger and the frustration and the loss of temper and all that stuff. That's that outward, that's that outward emotion, right? And then when you have that, that period of time to do that work, you go back, okay, so what's the feeling behind that emotion? What is that feeling? 
What's the feeling that I'm feeling? Is it, is it shame? Is it, is it regret? Is it anger? Is it guilt? And you get to look at the feelings that have sparked that outward emotion. And then, of course, behind the feeling, there's a false belief of some sort that's driving the whole thing, right? And that is also from your past. There is that underlying false belief. And usually it's kind of like a not worthy thing or a not good enough thing or an I don't belong kind of feeling. Whatever it is, it is that false belief that is at the root of things. Sometimes it is the core belief that we carry around with us. I'm somehow separated from my good and they know it. And they just pointed it out to me. I'm somehow, I'm not good enough to be alive on the planet. And they found it, and they pushed that button. And they know that about me. And so that's the underlying false belief. And whatever that underlying false belief turns out to be, the healing is replacing the false belief with a spiritual truth. Right? With a spiritual truth with a spiritual principle. And that is the whole arc. That's the whole, we talk about a reflex arc. This is the arc of healing. When we enlarge that gap, then we can do that inner work. We can analyze the buttons. We can find out where they came from. We can go from emotion to feeling back to the, the false belief, the narrative that's out picturing when that button gets pushed. So we can do the work of healing ourselves but it's up to us to heal them. That is our responsibility. To heal the stuff that lights us up because you know what happens if you don't? You become one of those people that are triggered by everything, by everything. You can't be in a room with other people because you can't say that and you can't dress that way and you can't look like at me like that because I will get upset. Sorry, it doesn't work that way. You know, it doesn't work that way. You cannot change and manipulate and control all of the people, places, and things outside of yourself in order to make you happy. It's never going to work. And even if you could do it, you can only do it for about a minute or until you go to sleep that night, and then you wake up, it's all back to the way it was, you know? You go to sleep, it's all back the way it was. We can't do that. The only place that we can change... The only place that we can change is within ourselves. So we must do the work of healing. We have to do it. It's ours to do. To heal ourselves so that in any situation in which we find ourselves, we're the healing presence. We are the healing presence. And then you know what happens? Somebody comes up and... <laughs> somebody comes up and pushes your button and what? Nothing happens. Nothing happens. You just look upon them with compassion. Now, you may not want to go to coffee with them. <laughs> if, 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 they're, if they're toxic or if their favorite hobby is pushing your buttons, you know, you may not, you know, it's like, okay, well, maybe some other week, you know. But the thing is, when we do the work of healing, when we have healed that within ourselves, when we've taken up our responsibility to disconnect those buttons, nothing happens when they get pushed. Nothing happens. And then we become the positive force. Do you see how that works? Then we become the positive force in the world. We become the healing that the world is calling for so that we can do our work out there. When we're operating 
our lives from our own sense of wholeness rather than from a sense of woundedness, we become that positive thing in the world. You know the whole, you know, hundredth monkey thing? Like eventually the world changes because one person at a time heals. And then they heal the people around them just by their presence. Just by their presence. People will be healed by your presence because you are a healed person and all you're glowing and all you're shining is love and compassion and positivity. And isn't that what the world is calling for us to do? Right? That's what the world is calling for today. Ernest Holmes said this. He said, in living the science of mind, in the science of mind, we do not say everything is all right when it's all wrong. We do not say peace when there is no peace, but rather we try to discover what is wrong and why we do not have peace. We do not say, peop- we do not say that people are not poor or sick or unhappy, We ask why these things should be if the original cause of all things is harmonious, perfect, radiant, and happy. And you see, that's what we do when we pray and when we meditate and what we ask, what is ours to do, and we have healed our own buttons, then we get to be the positive force in the world to make the situation better, not because we think there's anything to fix, but we stand in the truth of everything is whole, perfect, and complete to begin with, and how do we call that forward? And that's what we do, right? We pray and we meditate, and we think Whatever it is, you know, it comes to us in meditation. Maybe there's something for me to do. But the doing always comes later. The doing is always after the prayer and the meditation. First, there's something for me to know. There's always something for me to know first. And then maybe, yes, there is something for me to do. And then spirit will let you know what that is, and that's your next step on your spiritual path. That is your next step and your next step. And spirit is surrounding us, holding us in its loving embrace all the time, walking in front of us, holding the light high. So whatever that next step is, it's perfect. It is perfect because it is is spirit guided and directed. It's come to you through, through you, but it is that spiritual impulsion wanting to let itself known through you, through your actions. We desire to create a world that works for everyone. You've heard that saying, right? Religious science, we, you know, this is our vision. This is our big, big vision to create a world that works for everyone. You know, there are some ministers in our field who are saying, well, we already have a world that works for everyone. Everyone has the world that works perfectly for them at their level of consciousness. And, you know, that is like so lacking in compassion. That is like the least loving thought I think I've ever heard and for a, a, a spiritual philosophy like ours, Ernest Holmes said, love is the lodestone of our philosophy. That sounds very much not like love. It sounds like judgment and condemnation. And, you know, well, the world's already working for the starving people. It's already working for them at, at their level of consciousness. Oh, well, I'm okay. I got mine. Not our philosophy. <laughs> because Ernest Holmes said there are things for us to do. You know the expression, treat and move your feet? This is the move your feet part. (laughs) We get direction through prayer and meditation. We know what is ours to do, and we know what's ours not to do. That's the clarity of this philosophy. That's why it is a practical spirituality. But it must be grounded 
in love. It must be grounded in wholeness. It must be grounded in the truth, right? Ernest Holmes said, we have no one to denounce and nothing to antagonize. Seeking cooperation with all, we should endeavor to relieve the mind of the burden of fear and doubt and uncertainty. All of those attitudes could be wrapped in one little package and labeled lack of faith in ourselves, in each other, and in life, right? Because isn't that the false belief that, that we carry around, that human race consciousness carries around with it, that keep us from knowing the truth for ourselves and for others? There is a false belief running through human race consciousness of not enoughness, right? You feel it. Don't you feel it when, when, you know, when you're not really thinking of anything and you're letting human race consciousness sort of float through you and do the thinking through you? There is a feeling of not enough to go around, right? There's a feeling of not enoughness that keeps us from knowing the truth for ourselves and others. This is a false belief of not enoughness, and it keeps other people out. The false belief in lack we have a false belief of lack running through the human race consciousness that keeps us thinking there's not enough to go around. Don't have enough. We only have enough for us. You guys stay out. It's a false narrative. It is a false belief. There is a false belief in the other, in other, that keeps us from recognizing our oneness. Core concept one, there's only one God. There's only one of us. There's only one energy. We are, we're it. And so is every living being on the planet. So is every living thing on the planet. It is, it is an experience that God is having in form. Ernest Holmes had this radio show called This Thing Called Life. And he said this in December 2nd of 1951. His talk was called The Contagion of Fear. And he said this. He said, right now the whole world is largely governed by fear. We're afraid of this and that and something else. We're afraid of what's happened. We're afraid of what's happening. We're afraid of what's going to happen. And you see, when we heal ourselves of our own false narrative, of our own not enoughness, of our, of our own not good enough, when we heal ourselves of those false beliefs, then we can stand in the truth in our world and we can operate from that Truth, because here's what he said later on in that same talk. He said, let us not forget, fear is contagious, but faith is doubly so. Faith is doubly so. So when we stand in the truth of God's qualities, of, God, of, of the principle of life is one and we are it, we can transcend those uh, human race conscious thoughts that flow through us, through the culture, through the country. We know what the truth is. There is nothing to heal. This is what Ernest Holmes said, right? We know the truth. There is nothing to heal. There is only truth to be revealed. The truth to be revealed is right up there, right? The truth to be revealed is the God is peace. And God is wholeness, and God is love, and God is joy. That is, the, that is the truth to be revealed. When we've healed ourselves of those false beliefs of not enoughness, we operate in the world like that. We know what the truth is. And in this way, we become healers immersed in truth. In this way, we are healers 
immersed in truth. There is only one God. That God is good. It must come forward in expression. And that's what we look at, and that's what we immerse ourselves in, and that's what we believe, and that's what we know. We stay in love. There's only love, right? There's only goodness, and we call it forward into expression in our family, in our lives, in our workplace. Wherever we happen to be, we know only love. Emma Curtis Hopkins said, speak only truth. Man, if we spoke only truth, it'd be a quiet planet. (laughs) We speak only truth. God is love. We are that. We are love. There is only goodness. And we call it forth into expression. We demand it. We demand it. We, 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 We command the law to bring it forward. There is only unity. There is only one of us. We call it forth into expression. We are all brothers and sisters. We are all the same at the root. We are all one. We are all one people. We call it forward. We demand to recognize the unity of all life, and we call it forward into expression. There is only peace. There is only goodwill. We call it forth into expression. Even if it's only in my little corner of the world, well, my corner of the world is going to be peaceful and loving and kind and unified. And we can get involved in the world of affairs, absolutely. There are people doing wonderful work in the world, right? There are so many good, good, good news items coming out, how we take care of each other, how we serve each other, how we uplift each other. We can get involved in world affairs and do good works and move our feet, like Ernest Holmes said. This is a practical spirituality, so there, there is something for you to do. There is something for me to do at the level of the condition, right? To improve things at the level of effect. We can do that. That's called treat and move your feet. We go to prayer. We inquire. We wonder. We, we, we sit in that gap for as long as we need to. What are you called upon to improve? But the work is done in a sense of wholeness. It's not done in a sense of I'm fixing broken people. Right? I have to fix broken people. That's just, that's just spiritual arrogance. We do the work in a sense of wholeness, knowing, knowing that it's all good, it's all God, and our work is just making it make itself known, making it demonstrate. We are revealers of truth. We are not fixers of broken people or, or situations. We simply reveal what is there all along. The peace, the wholeness, the love, it's always there. Like the sun is always behind the clouds when it's rainy and stormy. The sun is always there. We call it forth into expression in the physical world. That is our responsibility. That is ours to do. That is our ability to respond to, to a world that somehow looks so much not like peace and love and unity. Ernest Holmes said this. He said, I know there's nothing to be afraid of in God's world. At the very center of my being, there is complete confidence and complete faith. And so I turn in thought to the whole world, and I know my word is bringing light and life, and feeling of strength and confidence to everyone. I turn in thought 
to the leaders of the world everywhere. And I know that love and intelligence and, guide, and, and guidance, intelligent guidance must direct their thoughts and actions. I turn in thought to all the nations of the world and awaken in them the realization that there is good enough to go around, that there is a divine government under which we are all protected from fear of each other. And I turn to that great idea of God who knows all things and can do all things, and I say, lead kindly light amid the encircling gloom. Lead us on. And that is our charge, to be responsible, to grow ourselves, to heal ourselves, to be the change we want to see in the world, and then to go out and do that work in wholeness, in peace and love and unity. Thank you. John, thank you for calling me at 7 this morning because this is where I needed to be, truly.